Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now. Hey, what's up right now, it's listeners? It's the Dream Team, Pendarvis Harshaw. And Marisol Medina Cadena. Today's episode has us locked in in the mission, starting at a parking lot off 18th and Valencia. That's where I caught up with painter George Crampton Glasinos, putting the final touches on his latest mural. That parking lot is near and dear to George because it's the main intersection where he grew up. This street's completely changed, you know? It's like you're in the marina now or something. It's, it's completely wacky. I don't think anyone ever thought it was going to be like this when I was a kid, you know? Growing up right here, Valencia Street was no man's land, given the, the few auto body shops. But it was like a lot of gas stations, auto uh, used car lots, a uh, lot of appliance stores, which is cool that we're painting this mural on a on the Sharon's in the Sharon's parking lot. Sharon's has been here since 1892. They sell refrigerators and uh, washing machines and stuff. I remember this whole street just being like a crazy mix of uh, working class people, you know, different families. There's a guy next door to us that uh, lived on the ground floor corner apartment right there on Lexington. And his family came up from the south during World War II to work in the shipyards. We had uh, all different types of neighbors from different countries, you know. It wasn't just Latinos, there's a lot of uh, Asian folks. and I do remember Eastern Europeans in the neighborhood. George's uh, memories of the way the neighborhood was back in the 90s find their way into his work. Living in the Bay, where murals are plenty, I think we residents take these large-scale works of art for granted. They become like wallpaper. But when you stop to really look at the stories these walls tell, you can learn a lot about a place, its history, and the people who came before us. To be able to paint right here on this corner has been a real treat. Completely different from painting at home, you know? You, painting outside, you, you're on a ladder and there's cars flying by and people walking by. and It's a whole other experience than painting on a canvas at home. George and his friend named the mural the 415th Dimension. It portrays a night out at a drive-in movie theater. Parked lowriders face a projection screen. And in each corner is a depiction of different mission institutions, like Doggy Diner, Hunt's Donuts, and the 500 Club. It looks like a scene straight out of a comic book. Wanted to stick with like the theme of like new and old and like ancient civilizations fitting in with like modern or you know 1980s burger stand. So 
I put the pyramid in just to kind of pay respects to, you know, the people that were here before us. We'll hear more about George Crimpton Glasinos's work and the message of caretaking that he's spreading right after this message. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. I thought we could start by just talking about your your threads. <laughs> Because every time I see you in the mission, you're always wearing really cool outfits, like jackets. Oh, yeah. So what are you wearing today? I wore a Pendleton. I'm, I dressed up because uh wear my work clothes all week long. So when the weekend rolls around, I like to put on a nice outfit. It's it's also, the you know, it's that time of year. It's cold out and Pendleton keeps you warm. Well, back in November, when we first started talking to you, I caught up with you and your friend at 18th and Valencia. Yeah. Painting that mural. Um, it's finished now. So what's the reception been like? The other day I drove by after high school got out up at Mission High School. And there's a big group of kids in there, you know, with their backpacks and skateboards. And they're all checking it out. So that makes me feel good driving by and seeing the youth checking it out. That's who it's for. It's for the kids. And, you know, my neighbors that are still there on that street that I grew up on. A lot, a lot of people left. A lot of people got pushed out. Why is that street corner significant to you? I have memories of standing in the window as a kid, and I came up to like right at right to like the uh, windowsill when I was a kid. So I'd I'd sit there in that fucking window for hours, and I'd look at cars driving by on the street. And my mom was like, I couldn't figure out what your obsession was with cars. And we chewed on the windowsill and, and, you know, this like lead paint, okay? And so uh, I just sit up there in that window, chewing on the windowsill. It, I could see that parking lot from my window. And across from the parking lot, there was another uh, empty lot. It's a condo now, but uh, that was a used car dealership. So I had a whole view of that street and uh, 
there's a puddle that would form across the street from my house. And, and this was back in the days they had rush hour. They make you move your car at a certain time in the afternoon. It was like commute hours. So there'd be no cars on 18th. It was like four lanes, two lanes going down and two lanes going up. And you'd watch cars come tearing down the street and hit, hit this puddle. And it, it was soak people on the sidewalk. So that was our entertainment. You know, we'd sit up there and we'd laugh at people getting splashed. It was very Looney Tune behavior. Looney, Looney, yeah, Looney Tune behavior. <laughs> All of those memories hold significance to me and part of growing up in the neighborhood and uh, being able to paint in that parking lot is crazy. We were evicted out of that apartment at a certain point, but um, 18th Street was a big part of my upbringing and uh, it was such a beautiful community. All different kinds of people from every walk of life living around us and really embodied what the mission used to be, you know. This was the 90s? This was the 90s. Thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. Paint that picture for us. Everything from the windowsill to the interactions in the community. Man. Um, And you mentioned your mother and as I understand that both your parents are artists. They are, yeah. And I'm wondering what role did they play in shaping you as an artist? My dad would get off of work and he'd come home and draw with us or on the weekends we'd draw together and You know, my mom always encouraged art in the house. We always had art materials laying around. They didn't stick me in front of the TV. They stuck me in front of a drawing pad, so, (laughs) which I hated, you know, because you'd you'd go to school and everyone would be talking about TV and stuff, but now I'm I'm very grateful for it. You hear that, parents? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then on top of providing you the resources, were there any specific techniques that they showed you? You know, my dad would sit down with me and show me how to like crosshatch shade. And uh, my, I remember my mom showing me like how to shadow, like, look, a lamp's pointed at this uh, cylinder. Your shadow's going to come off this side. And so they taught me stuff like that. My father had a huge comic book collection when I was a kid. Every Friday after work, he'd come home. We'd walk up Mission from 18th Street to 23rd and Bartlett. He'd grab a stack of comic books, and that's where I got a lot of inspiration from, too. You know, like uh, Underground Comics, Spain Rodriguez, R. Crumb. My mom had a big collection of the uh, Hernandez Brothers comics called Love and Rockets. When they were, like, uh, doing something in the other room, I'd I'd grab the ladder and go up to the shelf and pull down an R. Crumb book and run off into my room. I like that whole that whole underground comic scene, but then combining that with like everyday life in the neighborhood, you know, like cars cruising on mission, muni buses. That's when I like, I, I, it clicked for me and I was like, this is what I want to draw and paint. And then from then on, I was like, you know, coming up with wacky scenarios in my head probably all that lead paint I chewed. I was, it goes back to the window. <laughs> I was promised you I was thinking yeah. that it goes back to the kid in the it window. Does, you know? Yeah. I like having a good time with it. Like painting that mural on 18th Street, we were just joking with each other all day long, coming up with crazy scenarios and then painting them. We didn't map anything out. We kind of just showed up there and started painting and that's what we came up with. I got to give my high school teachers a lot of credit too because um, they played, I went to a school of the arts here in San Francisco and they played a huge role in, uh, you know, kind of uh, shaping me and teaching me. I was stuck in a rut, you know, this was like ninth grade. I didn't, 
I had all these fucking teachers tell me to do these like still lifes of fruit, like a vase with flowers. And uh, I hated it. And I had this one teacher tell me, just draw what you want to draw. So I did like a, a, a popsicle man pushing a cart, but he's a skeleton, you know. I put him in front of like a produce market on 23rd and Mission. And that's when my uh, creativity flourished. At what point did young George, who used to draw and then eventually went to high school, when did he claim the title of an artist? When did you see yourself as such? I still don't like considering myself an artist. I, I just consider myself a painter. It's fine to be called an artist, but I, I, I feel weird about like giving yourself that title. So you, not an artist, a painter, right. and, and, you <laughs> and you walked in the day uh -huh. with, with this beautiful piece that you did with a ballpoint pen. It's beautiful, black and white, uh, 1937 Chevy bomber. Yeah, yeah. In front of a panderia. This piece, that's that's not painting. And so you're still right. not an artist? The drawing. The drawing. <laughs> Come on. The ballpoint pen drawing. You went through two ballpoint pens in making this drawing? Yeah, I did, yeah. I like to just work with whatever I got laying around, you know. And I think that's important for a lot of people that create. You don't need a $50 set of acrylic paint. You don't need a canvas pick up a piece of cardboard or a piece of plywood off the street and just draw on it or pick up a Sharpie and draw something on a wall. I think once people break through that boundary of being like, oh, you know, I don't have the right supplies or this or that, you can start rolling from there, you know? I love it. I was going to ask for some words of wisdom for the creatives out there, but that's yeah. it. Just create. So you're a member of the ILWU, the International Longshore Workers Union. Talk to us about how that influences your creative practice. Being right on the waterfront under these huge cranes and trucks and machines and uh, all of that's super inspirational to me. Also being up at like four or five in the morning, you see all different kinds of crazy shit on your way to work. and. All of that plays a role in, in inspiration, you know, crazy sunrises and trains and freeways. And I take parts from my day to day surroundings and put them into my paintings at the end of the day. Mm. Was it a big deal to get into the ILWU? Because from what I understood, like you can only get in if you have a relative in. Well, my dad's right hand man for a long time, for a number of years, worked with my father. He uh, put his name on the list in 99. They did uh, off the street hires. And he didn't get a call until two, mid 2000, like 12, 10. When he became registered, he got an interest card and he passed that along to me. Mm. So that that was how I got in there. You know, it's been a, ble it's a blessing, you know, have the benefits and the security. It's a good gig. I feel lucky to be down there. You posted on Instagram about the the local chapter passing a resolution calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk about how organizing that came to be? You know, it was long overdue. In the past, our unions uh, stood steadfast with dismantling apartheid in South Africa. And uh, we always stick up for, you know, the workers that get the lower end of the stick and the people that oppress people around the world. Our chairman of the Young Workers Committee, Bo Logo, 
you need to be at a certain level of seniority within the union to push forward a resolution, and he mm-hmm. has that position. So he drafted up the resolution and pushed it forward, and it passed unanimously. That's a big deal. And we, to my knowledge, are the only local that pushed forward a resolution for the ceasefire. And we've always been kind of more the, the we've been more militant and radical here in the Bay Area. And this where this is where the longshoremen started, you know. During the general strike? General strike. A number of ports along the West Coast, you know, stru- went on strike. And we, we were founded in 37. It makes sense that the I-double-L-U. Yeah, I-L-W, yeah. It's, yeah, hard, it's yeah. hard to roll off the tug. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, they were so staunchly opposed to South African apartheid because in the 30s, not staunchly, it was a battle, but they were about integration yeah. when a lot of other unions weren't. Yeah, and a lot of the uh, African-Americans, you know, were brought in to sca- scab and to take the work over. And uh, Harry Bridges said, look, if if we all come together, we're all going to work together. We're all workers and uh, we're going to get benefits and we're going to get what we want. His promise was at the end of the day, there'd be a, a black guy and a white guy on the dock together. Mm. And that's what, you know, that that was the start of the integration. And um, today, you know, my union's 85% African-American. Yeah, we got a rich history. We did a march on Market Street with the farm workers during the grape strike. We've in done, the 60s? Yeah, in the 60s. Our drill team met Martin Luther King at the airport and provided security for him when he came to visit. We were super involved with the Black Panthers and- uh, A couple years ago, you guys give Angela Davis like honorary status. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, our sister Angela Davis, she's a honorary member. Um, Danny Glover was inducted mm-hmm. recently. So there's all this history within the union. And uh, when I got my letter in the mail for my safety training and my drug tests and everything, I it was like a dream come true. I couldn't think of a better union to be part of. Mm-hmm. Also sounds like you have this like deep responsibility to others and to the city and the land and the people. And I feel like that kind of shows up in the work you do to restore like classic signs in the mission. Like I'm thinking about the iconic Ben Davis mural um, by Eric's or it was at Eric's Supply Co. before um, they had an electrical fire burned right, down. Right. Can you talk about what led you to restore that mural? I don't think I we're the first to restore it. I restored it with a friend of mine, Charlie, but it's kind of our civic duty. You know, we think of it as like community service. So, you know, driving by it and seeing that how it was, it needed to be fixed and it's been holding up pretty good. We've done it twice. When did you first do it? In 2016? Sometime around then. I can't remember the exact year, but we went down there early in the morning with a drop cloth and a ladder and we didn't want an audience. We wanted to get in and out as fast as possible. So we started early, but we had people thanking us and offering to buy us beer and whatever. <laughs> and it felt good, you know, doing something like that for the neighborhood. And we didn't expect anything in return from it. We just love that sign. We've seen it for so long that it almost felt like it was, it was like a mandatory thing for us to do. You mentioned folks were hitting the horn and offering you to buy you beer. Like for folks who don't know, why is this sign so significant to Frisco kids? It's on the corner of Mission and Valencia, right where Mission and Valencia butt into each other. But that gorilla's been there ever 
you know, it's been there as long as I've been alive and he's grinning at you. And uh, it's a symbol of resilience and resistance. And in my opinion, you know, like a fading image of the working class here in San Francisco. And uh, it's a killer sign. Glad that it's still there. It's a church now, I think. Did you see that? I don't know if you know this, but um, the church owners said to the bar bar owners next door that they will keep the mural. Cool. They're not going to touch it because they understand it has important value. Yeah. It's our savior, Ben Davis, right? Yeah. Our Lord and savior. (laughs) (laughs) What was your relationship like with with the brand? When did you start rocking the gear? We went out and bought Ben Davis shirts in like fifth or sixth grade, like me and a group of my friends. Cause, uh, my, my older, my friend's older brother would wear it. And we thought it was so cool, you know. We love striped Ben Davis shirts with the the little zipper that came down on the, you know, with the collar. We all would wear Ben Davis to school. The school said we can't wear you can't wear your Ben Davis no more because it's a uh, street gang clothing. If I can remember correctly, uh, a group of our dads went went down there and talked to the school and said, "There's no way you guys make them can't make them wear it." Where like uh, my friend's dad was a muffler guy and he wore it and. My other friend's dad was the janitor at the school and he wore it. So it was like, this has nothing to do with that, you know? So we, we won the, we wow. won our right to wear Ben Davis. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's what, but fight, you know, fighting the system at a young age. I've been wearing ever since. The process of hand painting something. Mm-hmm. Why is that important to you? It's not cookie cutter, printed out on a printer, vinyl banner and, you see so much of that now. Everything's so digitalized now. So the importance of a hand-painted sign is it has character. Uh, you know, the lines aren't perfect. There's drips. <laughs> there's paint on the sidewalk, you know. The texture. There's texture. There's years of, you know, uh, there's been someone leaning against it in this corner, so there's a mark on it now. And you don't get that with a vinyl banner. The sun... The sun will end up destroying it, and then it'll be flapping there. And <laughs> The signs really hold a lot of value, you know. You pay a lot of attention to preserving technique, preserving culture through signs, iconography. I'm wondering, is there someone or a group of people you're trying to pass your skills on to? It's just part of being from the city and growing up here and... Uh, Anyone that wants to pick up a brush and learn, you know, just do it. I, I'm happy to teach you. I'll show you as much as I know, you know. But I guess it's not only just like the technique. It's like you're maybe you're teaching people like a perspective, like right, right. a way to go about I, your business. Yeah, yeah. And I just kind of try to show this sign's been around since the 40s or the 50s. Like, let's preserve it. And But I also don't, you know, I'm not I'm not here to tell people what to do either. So. I get that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have your eyes set on another sign to restore? I mean, I know you also take care of the Luca's ravioli one. Yeah, it got graffitied on, so we touched that up. All these places were like places that I'd go and walk to with my mom when I was a little kid, you know, my brother in the stroller, and I'd be walking along, and I just like keeping an eye on things. What about, I guess, can I volunteer you one? (laughs) Put it on your radar. Um, 
it's that burger joint on Mission, but over in the Excelsior, like on Silver. Oh, you're talking about Joe grinds his fresh chuck daily? Cable Car Joe's, right? Yes, like that needs some love. Yeah, that sign was too cool. Yeah. I never even ate a burger in there because we were when we were kids, they were like, oh, those burgers are like 15 bucks. You know, when you're young, you want to like buy some weed and like a 40 and you're probably going to end up like splitting a burrito with three other people or something. So. <laughs> yeah, you got to yeah. maximize. Yeah. Priorities. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Much appreciation to George Crampton Glasinos for bringing us into your world. For real, though, you drove us around in your truck and gave us a tour of basically your Hall of Fame of murals. (laughs) If you're itching to see George's work in person, I highly recommend you get yourself to 24th Street or Mission and 18th. He's got a bunch of pieces up on the walls. And to keep up with him online, his Instagram handle is at PainterGeorge415. This episode was hosted by Marisol Medina Cadena and myself, Pindarvis Harshaw. It was produced by Marisol Medina Cadena. Chris Hambrick is our fierce editor. Christopher Beal is our wizard of an engineer. Cherie Bishop is the Right Nowish production intern. Additional support provided by Jen Sheehan, Katie Springer, Cesar Saldana, Or Dursun, and Holly Kernan. Get out and see some art. Hit the streets, y'all. Right Nowish is a KQED production. Peace. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.